Let me invite us to turn to God's word in 1 Samuel 23. 1 Samuel 23, and I, I read. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled, uh, had fled to David, um, to Keilah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told that Saul, uh, to, it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah. And Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him, and he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hands? Will Saul come down as, as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went uh, wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. David saw that, uh, that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh, and strengthened his hand in the Lord. And he said to him, Do not be afraid, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, 
David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horesh, in the hill of Hakila, which is south of Jeshimon? Now, come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender, to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have, com- you have had compassion on me. Go, make yet more sure. Know and see the place where his foot is and who has sent h- him there. For it is told me that he is very cunning. So see therefore, and take note of all the lacking places where he hides, and come to me with sure information. Then I will go with you. And if he is in the wilderness, I will search, uh, I will search him out among all, the thousand, among all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Moan in the Arabah, to the south of Jeshimon. And Saul and his men went to seek him, and David was told. So he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Moan. And when Saul heard that, he, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Moan. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his, uh, and his men were closing in on David, and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry, come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the stronghold of Engedi. Let us turn to the Lord prayer. O Lord, we turn to you in prayer again. We know you never get tired of hearing from us. And yet again, Lord, we need your help to learn from your word, to understand your word. O Lord, help us that we would understand it. Help me that I would make it simple and clear that I will not in any way make your word or hinder your word from becoming simple and clear to those who are listening to me. Oh Lord, we pray that you would save the lost. We pray that you would warn the careless. We pray that as your word goes forth, that you would strengthen the weak. We thank you and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In in any kind of job or in any situation, one of the things that is important, other than the job description, let's say you've gotten to a place, you've, uh, you've had an interview, they have employed you, they've given you a job. One of the important things for you 
apart from the mission, apart from the job description, is support for your work, isn't it? If you're given a job description and you're told that you will be the you'll be in the IT department and um, you will be in charge of ensuring that the IT infrastructure is uh, on at all times. Your work is to ensure that uh, things run, that the network is safe. The next important thing is, what do I have to ensure that I do my job? In other words, what equipment will I be given? Will I be given uh, a computer so that I can then in, uh, be online and be able to check things? Will I be given access to um, the server room where necessary? If you are working from home, you will probably say, you know, I will need internet so that I am able to work from home. All this support structure is important for the work. So the job description and the support for the job description. No one hires someone and then just gives them a job description and doesn't give them a level of support to ensure that they do their work. And in the same way, or rather in a greater way, God not only calls people to do the work that he calls them to do or he has set for them to do, but God also gives them the necessary support. He, does, he doesn't just call, let's say, for example, with Aaron. When Aaron was called together with his family to be priests, God didn't simply tell him, now you are a priest, go and uh, sort yourself. We've just read from Exodus 34 that God ensured that the priests have everything necessary to support their work. That it was the people who made the linen clothings of the priests, isn't it? It was the people who built the tabernacle and they built all the utensils within the tabernacle. God calls and God supports the call. God calls and God supports the call. And in the life of David, we saw in the last uh, many chapters that David was anointed to be king and God had set him that one day he will be on the throne of Israel. But then we see that this call met challenges with the enmity that soul hearts towards him. Saul is a very powerful man. He is the king. He does everything he can, as we shall see, to ensure that he destroys David and the work of God for David's life is cut short. But as we shall see, God has called him, and God will support him. God will uphold him. God will lift him up so that he is able to stand. 
And as we look at the life of David in this passage, I hope that we shall also see that this is the God. Yahweh is the God who supports the godly people. He calls us to be godly. He has saved us in Christ so that we may follow after him, so that we may be those who are given to good works. And God has called and he will support you and I in his work. So how do we see God supporting David and ensuring that David is preserved and that David is uh, kept in such a way that he is able to fulfill his functions? Well, first of all, we see that one of the ways in which God supports his people, and especially in this passage, is he provides his guiding word. The guiding word of God. The situation around David, as we saw in the last chapter, is that he is still a man on the run. And a man in much trouble with the king wanting to kill him. And it is in this situation that the Lord continues to use him for the good of the people of Israel. We see that in spite of David, we looked at that last time, that although David is a man who is troubled, he has many issues. People today, we would say that David was depressed. But he doesn't relax and say, you know what, I am depressed, I won't help anyone. That in that very situation, the Lord still continues to use him. And in this chapter, we see that the Lord uses him for the good of his people Israel. Another opportunity to help the weak avails itself when the Philistines attack the town of Keilah. So the Philistines are again on the rampage. And you will see this on and on, that the Philistines were these people who would keep on coming. They would be defeated, run, come back. Be defeated, run, come back. They are a constant enemy to Israel. And what does David do when he hears of that? This news causes David to seek a response. And although he had 600 men, as we shall see, men who are ready for battle under him, he begins his work and his mission where all the godly need to begin. Where do all the godly people begin? What is the starting point for all godly people whenever they are about to do something? They begin here, determining the will of God. This is where the godly people start, determining the will of God. Not how successful the mission will be, not how many men do we have, 
not how big is the enemy. Before you get that intelligence report, first of all, what is the will of God for me in this situation at this time? And we can learn, by the way, a lot from David in this. Because I think, what I think, I know many troubles in our lives start because we do not seek the will of the Lord. True? We normally start with, what will I get? I've gotten a job opportunity. A job opportunity. We don't think to ask ourselves, what is the will of God for me at this situation? And how will this job affect me? Will it take me from my responsibilities at home, which is God's will for me? Will it take me away from God's people where I fellowship? We see that David seeks the Lord four times in this chapter. And he obeys the Lord all those four times. In chapter 2, in verse 2 rather, we are told, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack these Philistines? We are told in in verse 4, then David inquired of the Lord and again, Uh, the Lord answered him. In verse 10, then we are told again, David seeks the Lord again. Will the man of Keilah surrender me into his hands, into the hands of Saul? Verse 12, will the man of Keilah surrender me and my men in the hands of Saul? The will of God, the revealed will of God, is critical for the godly people because this is a wonderful way, a gracious way in which God supports you and I who are in Christ. This is why the psalmist speaks of the word of God in, in, in Psalm 119, verses 105, the psalmist speaks of the word of God as a what? Your word is a light to my feet and a lamp to my path. In other words, oh Lord, I can't see if I don't have you, if I don't have your will. I can't, it would be almost like walking into a dark room. Even the bravest of soldiers knows, if you go into a room that is dark, no matter how well equipped you are, no matter how well trained you are, if you have an enemy in a dark room and you can't see them, you can't see what they are doing, you will be destroyed, isn't it? The guy could just be waiting for you next to the door, and as you go in, they knock you. They could be pointing a gun at you, and you can't see it. That's why the psalmist says, Oh, your word 
is that lamp that just illuminates things so that I'm able to see trouble there, opportunity there, more trouble there. The will of God, the word of God is so important. It is the word of God that confirms to David that he should act and that he will have victory over the Philistines. And he responds to the word of God, to the revealed will of God. He attacks the Philistines and the Lord grants him great victory. Here we see that success comes with seeking and obeying the revealed will of God. The word of God is a guide to him, not only in pursuing the enemy, but also in escaping from his enemy. And we see this when, after he has just rescued this town of Keilah, you would think that the people would rejoice and decide, you know what, because David has spared our lives, we will also in turn do what? Spare his life. That's not what happens. The people turn against him. David, again, is not complacent when he hears that Saul has conspired with the people of Keilah to trap him. He does not presume that because he has done a, a good act for them, that they will do good to him in turn. He seeks again the will of God. He seeks the will of God rather than depend on the good will of men. It is far better, far, far better to trust in the word of God than in the good will of men. Good will with men runs out. Good, the, the good will, even if it's family members, it will run out. Even those who you do good to, they may not give you good in turn. David does not put his trust in the goodwill of men. He puts his trust in God. Oh Lord, is it true that these people will do that to me? And the Lord tells him, yes, they will. He finds out the will of God. How important is the word of God to you? How important is the will of God for you? Where do we start? Where is your starting point? Whenever there is a challenge, whenever there is an opportunity, where do you always begin? Because I, I am afraid that Many times, we begin with our interest. We begin with what is in it for me. Do I get more money? Do I get that promotion? Does that mean that now I can buy that house I've always wanted to buy? If, if that's the case, yes, you tick. But what's the will of God for you? 
before you get into a relationship, what comes first to your mind? Is it what your flesh tells you? Is it what you see? Is it what you feel? Or is it the will of God? Are you unequally being yoked with an unbeliever? And you need to cut off that relationship. The word of God, the will of God, the revealed will of God is such a great support to us, brethren. Start here. Before you even call your pastor to ask him, start here and get on your knees and pray to the Lord and seek the Lord. Because sometimes I think we ask other people, so because we already know what the Bible will tell us, we therefore uh, go round against the Bible and we go to someone and we, we, we feed them maybe half of the information. But the word of God is like a mirror. It will tell you. It will show you what is truly in your heart. It will tell you whether you're making that decision out of godliness, isn't it? Let this be our support. The word of God. Let it be our help. Let us be those people who yearn to find out the will of God. This is how he supports and keeps us. If you lack wisdom, the Bible says, pray, and the Lord will give you wisdom. To the unbeliever, you're living for yourself. You're living this life, and you're thinking, well, I am smart enough, I am capable enough. I mean, I went to the best schools, I have accomplished this and that for my life. Let me tell you, if you do not know God, if you are not in Christ, if you're still in your sins, God's judgment is upon you. That's the revealed will of God for you that God will destroy all sinners. Repent. Turn away from your sins. Turn to him, turn to Christ, and he will save you. That's a beautiful thing about God. What's the will of God for you as an unbeliever? What's the will of God for you right now? Repent and believe. That's a very clear will revealed to you. It's not hidden. Because again, I think we tend to think God's will is this thing that is hidden high up in the Himalayas where you need to climb and climb until you get up there and then you get to know the will of God. Or you need to go for a meeting. You know, these days in, in many towns and in Nairobi, you have these meetings where people tell you, you know, come, we will pray for you the whole of the night. Give something and then we will tell you God's will. Is God's will really something spooky and mysterious? No. It's clear and simple. For the unbeliever, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul. For the believer, grow in sanctification. This is the will of God, your sanctification. So that's the first support that God gives to us. And I hope we make good use of it. We make use of it. May we not ignore the word of God. But secondly, 
another way in which God supports and he helps us and he strengthens us is the ministering or the helpful friends that the Lord brings around us and to us. As we saw in the last chapter, chapter 22, David is surrounded by a number of people, those who are needy and troubled like him. This is a group of people who God gave to him to be his companions in the wilderness. To be people who help him and and strengthen him at this time when he is lonely, his family has gone to Moab, he has no friends, he's hiding in a cave. The Lord sends to him 400 men who come to him, who help him, who keep him company in the wilderness. And we also see that it is these same men, the same group of people who are troubled like him, who have many problems like him, people who are bitter in soul, people who are in debt. We are told people who are in distress that they gather to him. The Lord blesses him with his group of men who are his companions. But we also see that they are used of God to help David with his redemptive purposes. The redemptive work of David was to protect the people of God from the enemies like the Philistines. David couldn't have done this feat by himself. David couldn't have rescued Kayla by himself. God gave him friends to be around him. Kayla, the town of Kayla would have been destroyed had it not been for David and his group of friends. They were very key to his victory. The weary, the tired, the distressed group of men that came to him in Adullam, the cave of Adullam, have now been transformed by the Lord into a fighting army at David's disposal. And looking at this, one of the things we need to learn is that we must never underestimate the importance of the people that God brings into our lives. The community of faith around us. You know, if you, if you looked at this list of friends, In the face of it, you might say, no, I don't want those kinds of friends. This is how your friends look like. Distressed, 
in debt, bitter in soul. It looks like a sorry group of people. A messy group of people. But people who God has brought into your life nonetheless. Friends to fellowship with and to be with and to help you. You and I in our walk of faith. I think sometimes we tend to look for better friends. People who are doing much better. I mean, you look around and you say, ah, yeah, yeah, I just have a sad group of people around me as friends. You know, the world tells you, the world tells you, you know, uh, there's actually this saying, um, which is very worldly. And some people even quote it in church, that if you are an eagle, don't hang around with chicken. That's a terrible, terrible um, I mean, illustration. If you are an eagle and God has given you chickens around you, hang around with them. They might not fly, but they can still fight, isn't it? <laughs> they can help you in one way or another. We need to consider that. And especially when we look at the people who God has given to us, the friendships God has given to us in our local churches. Do we really value the people around us in this church? Or do we look around us and just see, oh man, ah, TBC. I mean, the people around me are in debt, in distress, in trouble. I need better friends who are doing much better financially doing much better in this way or that way. And we look down upon God's people. Never underestimate the friendships that God brings around you. David, God gives him friends who are able to help him to fulfill, to start fulfilling his redemptive purposes. They fight against the Philistines. They go with him. They are his companions. And we also see the same thing with the great son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are told that Christ chose the twelve so that he can do what? So that they may be with him and so that he may send them out. Look at the first reason. Why Christ called the disciples. That they may be with him. That they may be his companions. That they may be with him in the ministry. That they may see his burdens. They may share with some of his burdens. Even when he goes to Gethsemane. He goes with them. He tells them, come and watch and pray with me. And in John 15, he actually calls them friends, isn't it? He calls his disciples, you are my friends. If Christ found friends to be important, how much more you? And I said this, I think in a sermon uh, I preached, I can't remember whether it was 
chapter 20 or 21, that sometimes we tend to look down on the spiritual value of friendships. But if you look at the Bible, how it, it um, shows the beauty and the importance of biblical, godly friendships. Read through the book of Proverbs. It encourages people to have good friends. Proverbs is written by a father writing to a son, and he tells him about friends. Seek good friends. Seek godly friends. Do not hang around with this kind of people. Hang around with this kind of people. Hang around with those people who love God like you. Given to godliness like you. They may not have as much money as you would want. They may not have the eloquence that you would want. They may even be people who have weaknesses. Various kinds of weaknesses. But never devalue the importance of friendships. But even more important, we see that he has that group of friends, but he has an even closer friends, a closer friend. We see that his friend Jonathan comes to him. Jonathan comes to David in the wilderness at Horesh to be with him. It is an important truth that Jonathan left the comfort of the palace, the beauty of the palace. He left the, all that he had in the palace, all the ease he had in the palace to be with his poor, broke, distressed, troubled friend in the wilderness. He left. He arose and he went to David. Now that's a key thing. And we are told why he did that. What was the basis of their friendship? We are told that his main achievement in this trip or of this trip is to do what? Is to Strengthen him in the Lord. Isn't it? Right? Um, so he comes to him. And um, we are told that, uh, let me just look for that. Uh, yes, and Jonathan saw son rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in the Lord. Well, that's one of the mission of godly friendships. That's the mission of godly friendships. Strengthening one another in the Lord. As we interact with one another, as we hang out, we ought to have this purpose in our minds. I want to strengthen this man in the Lord. I want to strengthen this sister in the Lord. I want to help them to be strong in the Lord. That should be our aim. And he ministers to him. God, God uses Jonathan as 
a ministry tool to help David. He, and he does this by, he strengthens his hand in the Lord by reassuring him that although great forces be against him, the Lord will keep and will preserve him. Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. So he reminds him, listen David, Things look bleak right now. But remember the promise of the Lord. Things look tough and hard right now. But remember the promise of the Lord. What the Lord promised, what the Lord said, he will surely do. He also reminds him that the Lord what he has promised to do to anoint him as king will happen. You will sit on the, on, on the throne as God promised. But looking at Jonathan and looking at that relationship that they even made a covenant with one another. Again, we need to look at it redemptively and see the friend who sticks closer than a brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what are we told about Christ? Christ left the honor, the glory, the beauty, the worship of heaven so that he can come on this earth, so that he can be born of a virgin, so that he can live his life of obedience and suffering. And he obeyed the Lord and he died a humiliating death on the cross. And he rose again on the third day. Why? So that you and I who are born as enemies of God can now be the friends of God. We can now be the children of God. This should be the friend whom we run to before any other friend. Cry to him. Pray to him. Do you have an issue? Is that him? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. All because we do not carry Everything to the Lord in prayer. Is he really your friend? Do we run to him? Do we handle and struggle with so many burdens and yet Christ is there to help us, our friend? Or do we sing that hymn with our minds absent? Do we really mean it? Is Christ really our friend? For the believer he is, please look to him, cry to him, seek help from him, grow in him, and grow in the friendships that the Lord has given us in this church. Let's build up godly friendships. Let's build up a godly community. That's what we say on our um, 
on our banner out there, right? A community of people who are in Christ. We are friends to one another. Let's walk with one another. Let's love one another. But again, to the unbeliever, the sad reality is this, that the Bible shows that for those who are not in Christ, they are enemies of God. We, you, all humanity is born in sin. And because of that, all human beings are born as enemies of God. But you can be reconciled with God. By believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, He will save you. He will save you. Thirdly and lastly, the other great support that the Lord gives to the godly. So we have seen that God gives His people His word, right? In how David seeks after the Lord and he prays to the Lord and he. He not only hears and not only prays, but he obeys what the Lord tells him. We have seen how God uses friends to minister to us and to help us. And especially for him where he has this group of people, 600 men who help him. And the help that comes from Jonathan. But then the other way in which God preserves and he, he supports the godly, is his preserving providence. Now, what do I mean when I say the word providence? The providence of God, or the providences of God as we know, from question 15 of the catechism, what are the providences of, of God? Providences of God are his most holy, wise, and powerful acts by which he preserves and governs all his creatures and all their actions. That's what we mean by the providence of God. How God, in his wisdom, in his power, in his holiness, preserves and governs his creatures. Providence is the second arm of how God executes his will or how he brings what he has ordained into uh, reality or to execution. The first arm is creation and God has created, but then there is providence where he controls everything in creation. Uh, we say that there is no stray molecule. There is no such thing as a stray bullet. There is no such thing as an accident. All things, even the details of life, are, are planned by God in his providences. If there is a, an ant Walking on your shoe right now. God ordained it before the creation of the world. That on Sunday the 17th, at this time, this ant will be walking on your shoe. 
Can you imagine even such details? God controls them. Sometimes I, I think of providence and it just amazes me that there is a tree right now falling somewhere in a forest and no one will know about it, but God has ordained it to happen. That everything, even where the raindrops, every raindrop that has fallen and that has hit the earth from creation, God ordained where each and every raindrop would fall. They don't drop randomly. To us, they drop randomly. To God, he controls them in his providence. The clothes that you have worn, you made that decision. But God in his providence had ordained that before the time began, you would be seated here, listening to me, wearing the shoes that you're wearing, wearing the mask that you're wearing, sitting next to the person that you're seated next to. Imagine all those details. That's how God controls things. And we see it here. This is one of the ways in which he preserves the godly. And we see it in how Saul, again, seeks after David, and he hears that David has gone to uh, the wilderness of Moan. And then we are told uh, that after several successful escapes, we are introduced here to a scene that is dire for David. David is in great danger in this passage. He has been exposed by the people of Ziph. And Saul is on the pursuit again. But this time, the plans of Saul seem to be better calculated. Or as people would say, he seems to be luckier this time. There is no such thing as luck. It is providence. But he seems to be like, this time things are really working for him. He knows where David is. And he doesn't just know where David is, but he is very close. Probably inches to getting his hold on David. And reading that passage, you know, look at verse 26 and 27. Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men went on the other side of the mountain. And as David was hurrying to get away from Saul, as Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture him. Look at that scenario. If it is if it is a movie, you can imagine here is a chase. Let's say they are running or they are on horses. And Saul and his men are just inches away at grabbing David. The question in our minds is, 
Will David and his men come to an end? It seemed so for David at this time. I mean, imagine being David, or imagine being the 600 men that were with David that day. If you looked around, you would have said, the plans of God have failed, isn't it? The plans and the promises of God to David are hanging on the brink. You would look and you would say, I mean, God had promised to, that this man would be the king of, of Israel. He's about to be caught. We are about to be caught. We are all going to die. It appeared that the plans of God have failed. Oh, Lord, what is happening? Can't you see we are about to be caught? Can't you see these men are just behind us? But observe how in the nick of time, a message comes to the king. Just as he is about to catch up with him, as Saul and his men were closing in on David, as they are smiling, as their faces are brimming with success, oh, mission accomplished. We have these guys. We have them surrounded. It's a done deal. Just as they are about to get their hands on them, someone comes. A messenger came to Saul and said, Hurry, come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. The timing of the attack by the Philistines and the timing that they, of the messenger arriving seems to be a conspiracy, isn't it? You look at it and you wonder, how is it that the Philistines chose this time to attack? How is it that the, the messenger traveled all that distance and arrived at this particular moment? God, by his providence, the unseen hand of God was at work to rescue David, to preserve David and his men. The Philistines fought at the right time. The messenger was sent out at the right time. And he arrived at the right time. And he spoke at the critical moment. Don't we see this with, uh, in the book of Esther? The book of Esther... Um, does not mention the name of Yahweh. It does not mention the name of God. And one of the things that bothered people with the book of Esther is that people were wondering, how can this book be inspired and it doesn't have the name of God? We don't see God speaking. We don't see uh, God saying and all that. What's happening? Well, the book of Esther, as many commentators put it, it is a book to show the providences of God. You remember when the, when the king uh, was asleep and he could not sleep and we are told that he said what? He sent one of his servants and he told them, read something for me. 
And the servant took a record or a book, and when he opened, we are told that he opened on the particular page, on the particular paragraph, and on the particular line that mentioned the good that Mordecai did. That is providence. That man did not plan to do it. He just went, took a book randomly, opened, and just started reading. And he read the exact place God wanted him to read. That's how God controls providence. They might seem like random acts, but it is God controlling things in the background to protect his people, to preserve his people, to ensure that things work out for the good of his people. David is then rescued because we are told, so Saul returned from pursuing after David. He, he saw that, eh, I might lose my kingdom. Let me leave this young man alone and go and sort things out. I'll deal with him another day. God preserves the life of David. Because remember, if David died, what did it mean? David is not king. The promises of God fail. And the great son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, his lineage will be cut. But God preserves David because he knows that from David, the Lord Jesus Christ will come. So God wasn't simply, he was preserving a man, yes, but he was preserving the work of salvation. The work of salvation was on hanging on the brink or looked to us like it was hanging on the brink. But God was seated in heaven knowing that he is in charge. He preserves. Let's trust in the Lord and know that he is in control. God will work out things. It may be that we do not know with the challenges that we have around right now with COVID, how will we survive? The economic downtown, how will we survive? The Lord is working out things, even using COVID even using the painful providences in our lives for our good. That's what we are told in Romans 8.28, isn't it? That how many things? All things work together for the good of, of those who are called of God, those who are called according to his name. So this should be a place for believers to trust in the Lord. It is a call for you to trust in the Lord. For the unbeliever, the Lord has brought you at, here at this time, or as you're watching via the live stream, maybe you had not planned to listen to this sermon, maybe you're just flipping or going through YouTube and you landed on this. It is not a coincidence. The Lord had planned it had planned it so that you may hear the gospel, so that you may repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we come before you. You are the God who has set the things around us to support us in our walk of faith. We thank you that you did not save us and then leave us to ourselves to um, 
move through life trying to grab on anything trying to find out your will in a dark room we thank you that you have revealed to us your word and in it we can find help in it we can find what to do what to say no to what to say yes to what to pray about what to desire oh lord we pray that we may be those who are guided by your word we thank you that you have brought us into the family of god's people and we pray that lord we would find comfort and peace being amongst believers in the church that even though lord the people around us are not perfect they may be distressed they may be as oppressed by the things in the world as us but yet oh lord you are using them for our good and you are using us for their good oh lord we pray that we may be as a church partners for the gospel that we may be joined together like these 600 men to love one another to be a community that pursues Christ We thank you O Lord even as we have seen how you preserved the life of David and therefore preserved the lineage of Christ and that through Christ we have been saved. We pray that we would trust in your providences that that when things happen that appear to oppose what you have promised that we may trust and know that you are accomplishing your will in all the things that happen whether good or bad. that you will accomplish your will using a, a virus that you will accomplish your will using um a bodily illness that you will accomplish your will using a delayed uh interview and all those things lord we pray that we would trust in your providence and that we would know you in control we pray that the sinner who has heard this message that you would save them that they would know that it is not by chance that they are here that they've heard your word being preached may they repent and believe in Christ for the salvation of their soul we thank you o lord and we pray this in Christ's name amen